0: Section five of Reincarnation A Study in Human Evolution by Theophile Pascal. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reincarnation and Science, Part Two The Problem of Human Heredity. If materialism were the whole truth, it ought to explain the whole of heredity. Instead of that, it clashes with almost all the problems of life physical substance offers for analysis none but physical phenomena attraction repulsion heat electricity magnetism vital movement the anatomical constitution of the highest the nerve tissue presents only the slightest differences in the animal series if these differences are compared with the enormous distinctions in the qualities it expresses difference of form visible to the microscope are at times important we shall be told, and those that affect the atomic activity in groupings are perhaps even more important. That is true, especially in whatever concerns man. Intelligence cannot always be explained by the complexity of the brain, though this complexity is the condition of faculty as a rule. Insects such as ants, bees, and spiders, whose brains are nothing but simple nerve ganglia, display prodigies of foresight, architectural ability and social qualities whilst along with these dwarves of the animal kingdom we see giants that manifest only a rudimentary mind in spite of their large convoluted brains among higher animals there is not one that could imitate the beaver which all the same is far from being at the head of the animal series in building for itself a house in a river and storing provisions therein there is a vast gulf in the zoological series before and after these insects, as there is before and after the beaver, whilst an even wider gulf separates the highest specimens of the animal world from man himself. Nor do the weight and volume of the brain afford any better explanation of the difference in intellect than does its structural complexity. The weight relations between the brain and the body of different animals have been estimated as follows by DEBIER. Rabbit, one of brain for one hundred and forty of body cat one of brain for one hundred and fifty-six of body fox one of brain for two hundred and five of body dog one of brain for three hundred and fifty-one of body horse one of brain for eight hundred of body if matter were the only condition of sine qua non of intelligence we should have to admit that the rabbit was more intelligent than the cat the fox the dog and even than the horse in the same work, the following figures express the average size of the brain in different races of men: Pariahs of India, 1,332 cubic centimetres, Australians, 338 cubic centimetres, Polynesians, 1,500 cubic centimetres, Ancient Egyptians, 1,500, Merovingians, 1,537 modern parisians one thousand five hundred and fifty nine this would prove that the people who built karnak and the pyramids who raised to an elevation of about five hundred feet blocks of granite one of which would require fifteen horses to drag it along a level road who placed those enormous stones side by side without mortar or cement of any kind and with almost invisible joints who possessed the secret of malleable glass and of painting in colours that have not faded even after the lapse of centuries that such a race of men were inferior to the rude uncultured Merovingians and scarcely the equal of the polynesians science also tells us that in a child five years of age the human brain weighs on the average twelve hundred and fifty grams. This, too, would bear no relation whatever with the intellectual and moral development of a child of that age, and that of an adult man. Though Cuvier's brain weighed 1,830 grams, and Cromwell's 2,230, that of Tiedemann, the greatest anatomist, when placed on the scales, weighed no more than 1,254, and that of Gambetta only 1,246. The physical body of itself can give no reason for host of psychological phenomena on which, however, a flood of light is shed if one recognizes the existence of other vehicles of consciousness possessing more far-reaching vibrations, and consequently capable of expressing higher faculties. During sleep, for instance, it is characterized by the ego having left his physical body. Reason is absent. And what we call dreams are generally nothing but a tissue of nonsense, at which the dreamer feels astonishment only when returning to his body on awakening. On the other hand, as we have seen in Chapter 1, when the ego succeeds in imprinting on the brain the vibrations of the higher consciousness, it is able to regain the memory of facts long forgotten, and to solve problems that could not be solved during the waking state, There are madmen who have ceased to be mad during somnambulism. Persons of rudimentary intelligence have proved themselves to be profound thinkers during the mesmeric trance. When under somnambulism, vision is possible to those born blind, and certain people can see things that are happening a great distance away, and their reports have been proved correct. Certain phenomena of double consciousness cannot be explained without the plurality, the duality, at all events, of the vehicles of consciousness. To return to the role played by the germ in the question of heredity, we repeat that the physical germ, of itself alone, explains only a portion of man. It throws light on the physical side of heredity, but leaves in as great darkness as ever the problem of intellectual and moral faculty. If it represented the whole man— One would expect to find in any other individual the qualities manifested in his progenitors or parents, never any other. These qualities could not exceed the amount possessed by the parents, whereas we find criminals from birth in the most respectable families and saints born to parents who are the very scum of society. You may come across twins, i.e., beings born from the same germs, under the same conditions of time and environment one of whom is an angel, and the other a demon, though their physical forms closely resemble each other. Child prodigies are sufficiently numerous to frequently trouble the thinker with the problem of heredity. Whence came that irresistible impulse towards poetry in the Ovid which showed itself from his earliest youth and in the end overcame the vigorous opposition of his parents? Pascal in his youth met with keen opposition from his parents, who forbade him to think of mathematics and geometry. He besought his father to tell him, at all events, what was that science of which he was forbidden to think, and what it treated of. The answer was given to him that it is the method of making correct figures and finding out the proportions they bear to each other. With nothing more than this information and the aid of reflection— he discovered for himself the first 32 propositions of euclid by means of circles and lines traced in secret mozart at the age of 3 learnt the clavichord by watching his sister play a year afterwards he composed admirably at the age of 7 he played the violin at first sight without having had any teacher and proved himself a composer of genius before he reached his 12th birthday pepito ariola the little spaniard was only three years of age when about ten years ago he filled with astonishment the court of madrid by his wonderful playing on the piano in the lineage of these prodigies has there been found a single ancestor capable of explaining these faculties as astonishing as they are premature if to the absence of a cause in their progenitors is added to the fact that genius is not hereditary that Mozart's, Beethoven's, and Dante's have left no children stamped from birth as prodigies of genius. We shall be forced to the conclusion that, within the limits it has taken up, materialism is unable to explain heredity. A few more words must be said on physical heredity to explain why moral qualities of men of average development are so often on par with the same in their parents. In reality... The physical germs only multiply the organic elements of the ovule, and as this latter contains the cell types of all the tissues, it follows that these cell types will possess the qualities of the tissues that exist in the parents. For instance, germs of sufferers from sclerosis will supply a vascular apparatus predisposed to arteriosclerosis. Tuberculosis subjects will supply germs in which the vital vibrations and cellular solidity will be below the normal, and bring about those degenerate tendencies which characterize the tuberculosis subject. Those of sanguine constitution will transmit a faculty for vital assimilation and considerable corpuscular production, and so on. In this transmission there are two main factors, the male and the female germs the former represents force it imprints on the ovule the initial vital vibration which is to be that of each of the cells of the organism in course of construction the function of this germ may be studied more easily in animals because their heredity is not complicated by the individual differences due to the mental vehicle the stallion supplies the vital qualities the blood i e the vivacity brio pace physical resistance comes from the mare to sum up the modalities of matter are supplied by the feminine germ peculiarities of form proceed from several causes phrenology and physiognomy are sciences though the students hitherto known by these names are almost valueless because they have not been carried on with the necessary scientific precision doubtless gall and levater possessed the gift of penetrating both mind and heart as was also the case of mademoiselle lenormand desperoles and the genuine graphologists but this gift was not the result of mathematical deduction but rather a psychometric or prophetic faculty for this reason neither they nor their books have produced pupils worthy of the name THE MAIN FEATURES AND LINES ONLY OF THE HUMAN FORM HAVE A KNOWN MEANING, AND NOT ALWAYS A VERY PRECISE ONE. FOR EVERY PHYSICAL, PASSIONAL, MENTAL, OR SPIRITUAL FORCE POSSESSES AN ORGAN OF EXPRESSION IN THE VISIBLE BODY, AND THE VERITIES OF FORM OF THIS ORGAN ENABLE ONE TO JUDGE OF THE DEGREES OF FORCE THEY EXPRESS ON THE EARTH PLANE. ON THIS BASIS, PECULIARITIES OF FORM MAINLY STAND and the intensity of certain defects or qualities is at times expressed so strongly that it completely modifies the tendencies it would seem that heredity ought to pass on the similarity of form between parent and child is not exact because it proceeds from the peculiarities of the individual in incarnation far more than from the collective tendencies of the embryonic cells in the process of proliferation the being charged with building the body can in turn considerably modify its form copying specially striking features found in the mother's thought certain characteristic family traits the bourbon nose for instance those belonging to strangers in a continual relationship with the mother and those that a babe fed and brought up away from home takes from his nurse or from the surroundings amid which he lives all these probably leave the impress in the same way in this case indeed the builder who it must be added ceases the work of construction only when it is on its way to completion which happens about the age of seven is influenced by the forms of the new surroundings and at times copy them more or less and we may ask ourselves if the unexplained fact of negro children being born to a white woman the widow of a negro remarried to a white man is in no way connected with the reproduction of a mental image of the colored children of a former marriage another fact observers have noticed that almost all great men have had as their mother a woman of lofty character this preponderance of the maternal influence will be understood if we remember that the cellular mass that composes the child's body belongs to the mother not only because this mass originates from the proliferation of the ovule and consequently is only the multiplication of the maternal substance but also because the materials that have formed it and have been transmuted into flesh have been supplied by her indeed everything comes from this cellular mass the elements drawn from the amniotic fluid and the blood the milk which after birth continues for long months to build up the child's body and the magnetic fluid the atoms of life which are continually escaping from it and which the babe absorbs whilst receiving incessant attention from its mother this exchange of atoms is one of the utmost importance for these ultra-microscopic particles are charged with our mental and moral tendencies as well as with the physical qualities. Personally, I have had many direct proofs of this, but the most striking came at a critical period of my life. One day, when nervous exhaustion, steadily increased by overwork, had reached an extreme stage, a great being, not a Mahatma, but a soul at a very lofty stage of evolution, sent to me by destiny at the time poured into my shattered body a portion of his physical life shortly afterwards a real transformation took place far more of a moral than of a physical nature and for a few hours i felt myself the copy or counterpart of that great soul and the divine influence lasted twenty-four hours before it gradually died away i then understood better than by any other demonstration the influence of the physical upon the moral nature and the method of the subtle contagion often effected by mesmerism a man is known by the friends he keeps is an old proverb if atoms of life can have so marked influence upon a man nearly forty years of age i e at a period when he is in full possession of himself how much more powerful is this influence when exercised upon the child a delicate sensitive body almost entirely lacking the control of the soul this is the reason hired nurses often transmit to the child their own physical features and countless moral tendencies which last some time after weaning orphans too morally often resemble the strangers who have brought them up like physical tendencies these moral propensities appear only by degrees according to change of environment and especially to the degree in which the body is controlled by the reincarnated soul the most important however of the moral influences at work on the being again brought into touch with earth life is connected with the emotions the passions and thoughts of those around the child and under this name must be included the embryo and the fetus possesses bodies the subtle elements of which are in a dormant state his mental and sense-organisms are scarcely more than masses of substance that have not yet vitalized a sort of collection of germs of good or of evil which will yield fruit when they are awake the passional and mental vibrations of the parents play on the matter capable of responding to them in the invisible bodies of the child they vivify it attract atoms of the same nature taken from the finer atmosphere around and awake in it passionate and mental centers which, but for them, might have remained latent, or at all events, would only have developed at a later stage, when the ego, master of its vehicles, would be in a position to struggle against the evil influences and not permit them to have the effect save within the limits imposed by will. In this way, it is possible to bring to birth evil instincts in a child, and intensify them to a considerable extent before a single virtue has succeeded in expressing itself on the new instrument in course of development this mental action is so strong that it colours vividly if not altogether the morality of the little ones living beneath its influence and even older children are still so sensitive to it that whole classes are seen to reflect the moral character of the teacher who has charge of them this influence too does not cease with childhood it weighs though far less heavily on the man during the whole of his life and families nations nay even races each see through the prism of their own special atmosphere mighty and subtle is this illusion which man in the course of his pilgrimage towards the divine unity must succeed in piercing and finally entirely dissipating our responsibility towards children is all the more serious in that too deep an impression which thought makes on the subtle plastic and defenceless mental bodies of the little ones is added the fact that could one prevent the development of the germs of evil in the course of one incarnation these germs not having fructified would transmit nothing to the causal body after death and would disappear with the disintegration of the matter of which they were composed Consequently, with regard to children especially, we should cultivate none but noble emotions and lofty thoughts, so as to create centres of pure and worthy activity within their vehicles in course of reconstruction, and to turn their early impulses in the direction of good, their first actions toward duty, and their first aspirations toward the lofty and luminous heights of spirituality one may see from this rapid sketch how numerous and important are the influences added to and blended with those of physical heredity this group of influences some malficient, some beneficent is chosen by the beings who control destiny and give to each ego on reincarnation the body and environment it is merited or rather that there are needed for the harmonious development of its faculties a young soul still at the mercy of the animal impulses necessary impulses at the outset of human development of its karmic i e desire vehicle is sent to parents who will be able to supply its body with material elements of a particular density without which these impulses could not manifest themselves an ego that is approaching maturity will be drawn to a family that is physically and morally pure in which it will receive both the finer physical vehicle it needs and that lofty environment which when it enters upon earth life will develop the centers of expression for its nobler faculties those who are named in the mystic phraseology of the east the lords of karma in their choice of the race the family and the environment in which the reincarnated soul is to appear seek to give this latter the most favorable conditions for its evolution an ego whose artistic side needs to be developed will often be born in a family which will supply it with a nervous system accustomed to the kind of vibrations required and an environment favorable to the early development of the physical centers of these faculties to assist a being whose scientific mystical or metaphysical side needs to be developed other environment and parentage will be chosen and this is the relative parallelism existing between the moral qualities of the parents and those of the children which has deceived most observers insufficiently instructed in the mystery of heredity and made them believe in the influence of the physical germ alone it is an easy matter to supply an ego of average development with a vehicle an ordinary body is all that is needed there may be extreme difficulty however when a new instrument has to be found for a lofty soul, and when we think that, in pressing instances when the future of humanity is at stake, and the hour of destiny has struck, certain great souls accept very imperfect bodies for want of better ones. We shall no longer be astonished at finding that any particular messenger, in his compassion for the humanity, he has to enlighten and to direct to the ancient, eternal source of truth, has clothed himself with a body of flesh the ancestry of which was far from being adapted to the expression of his lofty faculties courageous souls are well able to put on the robe of pain and to submit to slander and calumny when the world's salvation can only be achieved at such a cost we know scarcely anything of the conditions that control the return to earth of the avatars the sons of god except the sometimes great initiates after purifying their bodies voluntarily hand them over to the gods who come down to earth a sublime sacrifice which like that of the saviours who consent to come amongst us shows forth that supreme characteristic of divinity the gift of oneself. nor is heredity always realised many a physical characteristic is not reproduced in families tainted with dangerous physiological defects many children escape evil and the diseased tendencies of the tissues remain latent in them, although they often afflict their descendants. On the other hand, as already stated, extremely divergent mental types are often met within the same family, and many a virtuous parent is torn with grief on seeing the vicious tendencies of his child. Here, as elsewhere, the hand of providence, as Christianity calls it, the intelligence that brings about evolution, the justice that controls the love that animates it. The hand of God, or of those who, having become divine, collaborate in the divine plan, comes to make up for the imperfection of the vehicles, and they permit only what is necessary to come to each one, only what he has deserved, as is generally said. This hand can create a physical or a psychic malady even where heredity and environment could not supply it just as it can preserve a pure soul from the moral infection of the surroundings into which it is thrown. This is the reason we find that heredity and environment either fail to fulfill their promise, or else give what was not theirs to give. OBJECTION Reincarnation is not necessary, it has been alleged. The soul's evolution is continued after death in the invisible worlds in finer bodies consequently it is needless to return to the denser bodies of earth in our opinion the trials of life so exhausting to the will must have given rise to this theory for not only have those who advance it never given the slightest proof of its truth but it is utterly opposed to the law of evolution in a world which prefers the flights of imagination to logical reasoning we are too accustomed to regard man as being a part in nature WE ARE ONLY TOO PRONE TO MAKE EXCEPTIONS ON HIS BEHALF. THE PATIENT SCIENTIFIC RESEARCHES OF ALL AGES HAVE LAID DOWN THIS UNIVERSALLY ACCEPTED AXIOM. NATURE DOES NOT PROCEED BY LEAPS. IT HAS NOT SO FAR ENTERED ANYONE'S MIND, WE THINK NOT AT ALL EVENTS, TO TEACH THAT THE DEVELOPMENT OF THE MINERAL, THE VEGETABLE, AND EVEN OF THE ANIMAL KINGDOM, COMES TO A HIDDEN HALT ON THIS PLANET, ONCE THE FORMS IN THESE KINGDOMS ARE DISPERSED to be completed in finer worlds but regarding man other thoughts have prevailed as though his intelligence and his heart have learned all the lessons this earth is capable of teaching from the most undeveloped of savages up to those glorious spirits that have been the mao the buddha and the christ we find every step occupied on the long ladder of humanity in the lower kingdoms all the stages exist also and are utilized each link receiving something from its neighbor, and giving them something in return, thus expressing on the visible plane that gracious unity which is divine love, love that is instinctive and imperative in beings of a lower degree of evolution, obeyed by those who, without loving it, understand it is good services, and actually live by such souls as have entered upon the path of sacrifice, souls that comprehend the unity of beings. If this earth has been capable of teaching the saviours of the world, why should divine wisdom send thereon only for one short life this mass of imperfect men to hurl them afterwards on to other worlds, like the careless butterflies flitting from flower to flower? Can the evolutionary effort be so easy and simple? Is divine energy of such a slight value that it can be thus squandered to no purpose? is the process of creation the sport of an infant god is the logos sacrificing himself in order to give life to the universe a prodigal working without rhyme or reason sending forth his intelligence and might in aimless sport and leaving evolution at the mercy of his caprice did not brahma by means of meditation which as the oriental scriptures tell us preceded creation practise the gentlest the most rapid and the easiest method of guiding beings to the goal? Is it not sheer blasphemy to attribute such folly to the soul of the world? Does not the study of nature, at each step, belie this insensate waste, of which no human being would be guilty? Everywhere with the minimum of force, nature produces the maximum of effect. Everywhere energy is consolidated with one end in view, and yet, amid the general order around, is the evolution of man to form a solitary and incomprehensible exception. No, we cannot believe it for a moment. American spiritualists, however, for it is they who have given out this hypothesis, are not in agreement with the school of Allan Kardec on this fundamental point, and this fact is by no means calculated to strengthen the authority for this doctrine. Did we not know that disincarnate beings are as ignorant in the life beyond as they were on earth, that they tend to group themselves, as they did here below, with those who think as they do, whilst remaining aloof from such as profess hostile opinions, that the Hindu remains a Hindu, the Christian a Christian, and the Muslim a Muslim, that skeptics are still skeptics, and atheists atheists? We should think that spirit communications with their incessant contradictions were unparalleled nonsense, since the spirits are by no means agreed on the very things regarding which they pretend to pronounce a judgment from which there is no appeal. Fortunately, there is a reason for these divergences. Death neither lifts the veil of Isis nor brings the soul into the presence of omniscient light. Man remains what he was— WITH ALL HIS FORMER BELIEFS, OPINIONS, PASSIONS, QUALITIES, SYMPATHIES, AND ANTIPATHIES. TRUE, HE KNOWS A LITTLE MORE THAN HE DID UPON EARTH. NO MORE HAS HE DOUBTS AS TO THE AFTERLIFE. HE REGAINS A PRECISE MEMORY OF THE WHOLE OF HIS LIFE HERE, AND THE RECOLLECTION OF MANY A FORGOTTEN FACT COMES BACK TO HIM. HE UNDERSTANDS BETTER, FOR HIS INTELLIGENCE IS BEING SERVED BY A MUCH FINER BODY, BUT THAT IS ALL. Therefore, spirits reflect both the mortality and the mentality of the nation to which they belonged on earth, and in the other life are to be found friends and enemies, believers and unbelievers, reincarnationists and non reincarnationists. Rebirths can be established only by personal proof, by memory. Now, the soul that has entered the life beyond, after disincarnation, has not reached the end of its pilgrimage. It is learning what it must, by self-purification, pass from world to world until it attains to a state of supreme and final rest. But when this latter has been reached, it has lost its lower sheaths and the memory they gave it. And when the law brings it back to earth, it puts on new bodies, which, having no participation in preceding events, are ignorant of the past. Remembrance, we shall see later on, is preserved in cosmic memory but until the soul has readied a sufficient development it cannot summon it forth and even if it could do so it would succeed in leaving its impress on the brain only when the physical the astral and the mental bodies have submitted to a process of purification which harmonizes them and binds them closely together then only does man know that reincarnation is true and takes place on earth until this latter passes into a state of obscuration or at all events until the development of the soul enables it to utilize for its evolution some environment on the planet other than the physical one we shall be told that we are now proving what we before denied no we are simply stating an exception which happens in very few cases and only then to the pioneers of the race an exception which is nothing but an apparent one and finds its place in the progressive order which unifies all beings in the planetary chain to which we belong End of section five.